Okay, if you've got your Bible there, can you turn with me, please, again to uh, uh, John chapter 12. I want to look at the same passage that we looked at last week. And I described it last week as one of the saddest stories in the Bible. And I believe that it is. Uh, but I also believe it's a story that's outworked probably daily um, in the church community throughout the world. Perhaps it's worked out daily in your life. And I know many times it's been outworked in mine as well. And it's a story that goes like this. There was a group of people that had observed Jesus, had learned some stuff about Jesus and had come to a point of conclusion that Jesus was uh, who he said he was. In fact, it says that they actually believed in him. But then it goes on and it says that they failed to confess him before men. John chapter 12, verse 42. Let me read it for you. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. In other words, they believed in Jesus. This group of people had come to a place of belief, a place of faith in Christ. But because of the consequences, because of what it might have meant to go public with their faith, because of what it may have cost them, they decided to keep that faith to themselves. Now, I'm not saying they weren't saved. I'm not saying that when these guys died, they wouldn't have gone to heaven. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, because I don't believe salvation uh, is an evangelistic issue. You're not, you don't get more brownie points because you told more people about Jesus. You don't get more brownie points uh, or earn uh, a more of a, a rightful place in heaven because of the life that you live. We are saved by grace through faith. Uh, and if you're watching uh, and you feel like you're not good enough for Jesus, let me tell you something. That's the reason Jesus came, because none of us are actually good enough. None of us will ever be good enough. You can't pray your way into heaven. You can't read your Bible or study your way into heaven. You can't give money to get into heaven. You can't give your time and serve a church or an organisation enough to get into heaven. Um, heaven has only one doorway, and Jesus said, that's me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And the story of Jesus is this, that there is no way that we can get into heaven. And so Jesus came to make a way for us to get into heaven. It says that he who knew no sin, in other words, he who had done nothing wrong, came down to earth and took upon himself the punishment for uh, all the rest of us that have done something wrong because we wouldn't be able to handle, we couldn't bear the punishment of God. I don't want to bear the punishment for my sin. I'm grateful that somebody else came and did it. You see, every time there is a law broken, there has to be a consequence. We understand that in human terms. If there's no consequence for a broken law, that's not a law. It's simply good advice. And you know what you can do with good advice? You can take it or leave it. It's up to you. Well, God doesn't dish out good advice. God actually had a way that he wanted humanity to live. And we chose to say no to that way and we went our own way. And if you look at the world today, you don't have to look too far to see the consequences of that. It's a broken world. There are uh, people going through all kinds of things. We can't fix ourselves. We can't save ourselves. And so God reaches down to humanity through the historical figure of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And Jesus comes and he points us back towards God. Jesus' message was very simple. Turn back to God. He loves you. He, he cares for you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Stop chasing after your own way. Turn back to God. Turn back to God and decide to follow after him. Open yourself back up to him. All the wrong things that mankind had done, Jesus took uh, the consequences, the punishment for that upon himself when he went through that brutal, brutal death upon the cross. So there's nothing we can do 
to get right with God. So if you're watching here and you're thinking, well, I'll just clean myself up a little bit and then I'll come to Jesus, don't do it. That's like washing your face, your hands, your knees and your elbows and then jumping into a shower. You don't do that. You get into the shower, dirt and all, because the shower will clean you. The water will clean you. And that's what Jesus does. So I don't care what you're struggling with out there. Come to Jesus. Just come as you are. You can come to him right now. He's closer to you than you could possibly imagine. I don't need to, to, to tell you some formulated prayer. Speak to him from the heart. I just said, God, if you're really there, I need you. I'm in a situation in life right now where I need you, God. And God, if you're really there, I want you to come and take possession of my life. And he did, 19 years of age, nearly 30 years ago now, Jesus did that for me. So these guys, I believe, were saved. But I don't believe that our faith is meant to be something that is not reflected back to society. So let me put it to you this way. Anyone ever heard of a a, a little lizard called a chameleon? I'm sure we all have. And a chameleon is something that actually changes its colour. It it blends in to the surroundings. Whatever environment it goes into, the chameleon will just blend into that. So instead of being something that stands out, a chameleon can quite easily just disappear into the, the surrounding world. And that's what these men were doing. They believed in Jesus. They believed something different to the rest of the people that were in this group. They literally believed something totally different. But they looked exactly the same. Why? Because they were like that chameleon. They, Whatever environment they found themselves in, if it was an environment that was not favourable to Jesus, they just kind of blended in to that environment. And the end result of that was this, that they had no influence for the kingdom of God in that particular place where they were. So I believe that, that God wants to come into our world and God wants to influence my life to the point where my life begins to influence the lives of others around me. God wants to influence my world to the point where I allow that influence to come out and become an influence in the world around me. These guys believed in God, but they laid down that potential influence because they failed to confess, they failed to live tangibly, evidentially to the world around them. They failed to reflect to the world externally what they believed internally. And even as I'm saying that, I'm sure many of you watching, you've had situations like that where you know you've probably uh, been in situations where you could have taken a different decision. You could have looked away. You could have got up from the table. You could have done something different. Perhaps you could have said something different that would have reflected back to this group or that environment a picture of the kingdom of God, a picture of God, but instead you just changed colours so that you wouldn't stand out too much. Hey, I want to say this to you. Don't condemn yourself. Jesus loves you. God loves you. You're not a bad person. You just suffer from the same disease of all of us. It's called being human. And and, and, you know what? That's why we need Jesus, because we're just not perfect enough to get it right all the time. So this group of people here, they were like chameleons. They They believed something, but they didn't want their belief to let them stand out. So they had no influence there. But the next verse, verse 43, is what I want to just take a few minutes this morning and look at. Verse 43 tells us why they did that. Why did they not want to stand out from the crowd? Why did they not allow their faith to influence their actions? And here's why. It says, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now let me say this. There's nothing wrong with loving the praise of men. And the passage doesn't say that you shouldn't love the praise of men. Hey, who doesn't love the praise of men? Let's be real. We love it. 
when men encourage us. We love to be congratulated for a good effort. We love to be pat on the back for a great idea. We love to be told that action was really good. We love to be told what you said made sense and, and, and really motivated and it moved a group. It reminded me of a story of a pastor that I read about not too long back who was preaching a message one Sunday and after the message he was just in his brain doing mental gymnastics. Was it any good? Did it make sense? And so on. And he's standing at the door and he's shaking hands with everybody as they leave the church that particular Sunday. And this little old lady came up, she shook his hand. She could see that he was struggling a little bit. So she wanted to encourage him. And she said to him, Pastor, I just want to say to you, hey, that was a great message today, really, really well presented. I got a lot out of it. Thank you so much. Of course, the pastor, trying to be really humble, said, well, don't thank me. It wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. To which she pulled her hand away, looked up and said, aha, it wasn't that good. (laughs) It wasn't that good. We all love the praises of people. And there's nothing wrong with loving the praises. As a matter of fact, if you don't love the praises of people, then I would suggest that maybe there's something wrong, maybe, with you. If you don't enjoy the praises of people, then maybe there's an area of brokenness in your life that won't allow you to open up to the encouragement, won't allow you to open up to the praise of people. I don't think it's normal. And the reason I say that is this. We are created in the image of God. And you know what? God wants people to accept him. He does. Jesus came as a reflection of God to men. And you know what? Jesus wanted people to accept him. But the thing is that with God, God won't change who he is to get the acceptance of man. Jesus at no point changed who he was in order to get the praises of men. Men either praised him or they didn't on the back of his integrity, on the back of his honour, on the back of who he actually was. They loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. Can you see what the issue is here? It's not that they loved the praises of men. It's that they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. That word praises in the Greek, it literally means this. It means the opinion, the estimate, and the judgment. So in other words, they loved the opinion, estimate, and judgment of men more than they desired the opinion, estimate, and judgment of God. They lived for the opinion, estimate and judgment of men more than they lived for the opinions, estimates and judgments of God. It's not that they loved and lived and liked and enjoyed the praises of men. It's that they went after it more than God. It meant more to them to be pat on the back by men than it did to be pat on the back by God. And as a result of that, well, of course, you're not going to do anything that's going to rock the social boat if you're really craving and desiring, giving the highest value to what people think of you over and above God. Well, of course, you're not going to rock the social boat, are you? And these guys were not rocking the social boat. The problem is that if you're not going to rock the boat, then you're not going to make a difference. And every now and then, we need to rock the boat of culture. Every now and then, we need to be open and available to rock the boat in the workplace. Sometimes we need to be open to rocking the boat in the different areas of life that we are. If rocking the boat means gently turning it towards the kingdom of God and turning it towards Jesus. They love the opinions, estimates and judgments of men more than the opinions, estimates and judgments of God. Living for the praise of men will limit God's influence over your life. Just as it did for these men. You know what, I believe God had plans and purposes for them. God had things he wanted to do in the place that he put them. But he couldn't do anything. Why? Because they lived for, they loved, they gave the greatest honour and and, and adulation to the praises 
the opinions, the estimates and the judgments of others. When we live for the praise of men, we limit God's influence over our life. But living for the praise of God will limit man's influence over your life. Let me say it again. Living for the praise of God will limit man's influence over your life. Let me ask you a question right now. Who has the most influence over you today? Is it God or is it man? At this moment right now, whose opinion and estimate and judgment means the most to you? Is it the opinion, the estimate and the judgment of man, of your peer group, of the people you work with, of the people you play sport with, of the people you go to school with, of of the people you go to gym with? Or is it the the is it the, the opinion, the estimate and the judgment of God? Does that mean more to you? Or is it the opinions, estimates and the judgments of people? See, whoever's opinions, estimates and judgments you value the most, they'll be the one that has the dominant influence in your life. They're the ones that will have the greatest say in how you act. They're the ones that will have the greatest say in what you speak. They're the ones that will have the greatest say in the decisions that you make. They're the ones that will have the greatest say in the direction that your life takes. In Proverbs 29, 25, there's an interesting passage. And it says this. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Many years back, I uh, was going to a little uh, uh, a town called Mudgee at West New South Wales, and I used to go to Mudgee High School. <coughs> And I had a three-day career in the Army Cadets. It lasted three days because I found out Thursday afternoon that they were going on a survival camp Friday, Saturday night in the bush, being unsupervised by teachers. They were dropping them off Friday and picking them up Sunday. And so all of a sudden I had this urge to join the Army Cadets. So I signed up on, uh, on Thursday afternoon for Army Cadets, got kitted out and stuff. On the bus Friday, Sunday when we came back, I handed my gear back and I was out of Army Cadets. I had a three-day career in the Army Cadets. Why did I sign up? Well, because the thought of going out bush with a bunch of your mates and being unsupervised by teachers, hey, who doesn't want to do that? Hey, who doesn't want to do that? So I went out there with a bunch of my mates and we got dumped off and we had to build a little hut. Now, the thing about this trip was that you were not allowed to take food. You had to catch your own food when you were out there. So once we'd made our little hutchie to sleep under, the three of us went for a walk. We found a rabbit burrow. And here's what we did. We got a piece of rope and we tied an end of the rope to this little tree and then ran a little bit of rope along. Then we put like a noose. Uh, around the entrance to the rabbit hole. And the idea was that later on at night when that rabbit came running through, that he would get in the noose and as he took off, the noose would be around and it would tighten up on him. Now, the noose was not going to kill the rabbit. It was just going to contain the rabbit. Let me say that again. The noose or snare was not designed to kill the rabbit. It was designed to contain the rabbit, to limit the rabbit's actions to limit the place where the rabbit could go, to confine him to a particular space so that he couldn't get outside of that boundary. The writer of Proverbs says here that the fear of man brings a snare. And the fear of man is exactly the same thing. It's designed to bring about a limitation upon your life. It's designed to get a foothold in your life 
so that you are then contained, you are then limited by the opinions and the perspectives and the judgments of other people, as opposed to being free to live limitlessly within the opinions, the values and the judgments of God. The fear of man brings a snare. It goes on and it says this. It says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. That word shall be safe is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It literally means this. It means to be inaccessibly high, to be too high for capture. So I want you to get this. The fear of man brings a snare. But those who trust in God will be taken to a place that is inaccessibly high, too high for capture. Don't you love that imagery? We've got two choices in life. We can choose to chase after the opinions and estimates and judgments of others. What that produces is a snare. What a snare does is it limits us and it holds us into a space and it doesn't allow us the freedom to go beyond where it says we can go. This is the thing with the fear of man. The fear of man creates a limited space for you. And in other words, the, the opinions and the estimates of other people determine how far you can go, who you can become, what you can do, what your value is. You are contained by the fear of man. You're contained by the opinions and the perspectives and judgments of others. But in contrast, those who trust in God will be lifted out of the reach of the snare and they'll be taken to a place that is inaccessibly high, too high for capture. I heard an old man say once, you can walk with the turkeys or you can fly with the eagles. And this passage here is saying the same thing. You can, you can submit yourself to the opinions and perspectives and judgments of people and have a snare around your, your leg for the rest of your life and you can walk with the turkeys or you can trust God. And God will take you to a place that is inaccessibly high, too high for capture, and you can fly with the eagles. Now, I believe God wants us to fly with the eagles, but too many of us are walking with the turkeys. And why are we walking with the turkeys? For the same reason these men in John 12 didn't fly with the eagles. They loved, they gave higher value, a higher platform of influence in their life to the opinions of people than they did to the opinions of God. You know, we weren't born to live in captivity. We were literally born to fly. We weren't born to base our decisions on the opinions of people. Now, I'm not saying we be rude to people, and I'm certainly not saying we disregard good advice, and I'm not saying that we be anarchistic and we go into environments and we just do whatever we want regardless of what people think. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. We need to be respectful within our workplace. We need to be respectful within the churches that we go to. We need to be respectful of people around us. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we need to seek after what God wants for our life, above and beyond what people want. We need to become the people God wants us to be. And we need to be free to go after that, not allow ourselves to be moulded and, and condensed and shaped into whatever culture wants us to be. We're not meant to be chameleons that, that get out there amongst the world and then just blend in because we're afraid of standing out. You know, we were called to stand out. We were called to stand out. Matter of fact, that's one of the translations of the word ecclesia, church. It's the set apart ones. Those that have been pulled out, stood out. That's who we are. We're meant to stand out. The problem is too often we stand out for the wrong reasons. Maybe it's time we started to stand out for the right ones. Because we appreciate and we love and we live for the opinions, the estimates and the judgments of God and not man. You know, there's another sad story in the Bible, and I don't want to get too far into it. 
And it's the story of Israel in the book of Numbers. You can read this. Book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 2, it says this, that God had a land for Israel that he wanted to give them. Think about this. They had been brought out of... These people had seen the plagues in Egypt. These people had seen the hand of God. These people had marched out of Egypt carrying gold and and, and all the wealth of the nation of Egypt. These people had stood on the edge of a river, a a, a sea, and watched it part. They walked on dry land and looked at water either side. They came out the other end. These people turned around. They watched the the, the army, the Egyptian armies, be swamped by the water. They watched that deliverance of God. They seen the power of God, the signs, wonders, and the miracles. And then they find themselves at this point, Numbers uh, chapter 13, where God says to them, I have brought you out of Egypt. I haven't just brought you out of there. I want to take you somewhere as well. And he says this to them in in Numbers 13.2. He says, I want you to send men out to spy the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. Interesting, he says, go and spy the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to you. Don't see if you can take it. I'm giving something to you. In other words, this place is yours. This is a part of your future. This is the future that I have for you. Well, we all know the story. They sent some spies in there. The spies came back. Ten of the spies gave these negative reports. The negative report primarily revolved around the fact that there were men in that place that were too strong. There were men in that place that we cannot defeat. There were men in that place that we can't overcome. There were men in that place. They forgot what God had said. He didn't say, check it out, see if you can. He said, it's yours. Go in there and have a look at it. But what did they do? They came back and they said, we can't do it. And in Numbers chapter 14, verse 9, a climax is with this speech. I think it was from Caleb. And Caleb says to the people, do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Well, the crowd turned and they wanted to kill him, didn't they? And you know what happened next? That whole generation of people missed out on the promise of God. That whole generation missed out on what God had for them. And let me tell you something. That is a great description of the fear of man. See, the fear of man wants to control you today so that it can steal your tomorrow. Let me say it again. The fear of man wants to control your today. And if it can continuously control your today, then the fear of man will steal your tomorrow. In other words, in 10 years' time, you won't be the person you're meant to be. You won't have the things you're meant to have. You won't be doing the things you're meant to do. You will only be the person that man wanted you to be. You will only have the things that man said you could have. And you will only be in the place that man says you can go. You'll only be doing the things that man says you can do. You know, that's not the plan and purpose and will of God for us. Now, we've got to make a choice. It's interesting, these guys had seen miracles, but at the end of the day, they still had to make a choice. And each one of us, every day of our life, we've got to make the choice. Wake up in the morning and say this to yourself. Who, whose praise is more important to me right now? Today, whose estimate, whose opinion and whose judgment is going to be more important to me? Is it going to be the opinion and the estimate and the judgment of man? In which case you will live a certain way and you will limit your influence. Or will it be the opinion, the estimate and the judgments of God? In which case you invite the influence of the Holy Spirit to flow through you. And maybe if more of us lived with a greater concern for what God thought, maybe we really could make a difference in our generation. Maybe we could see a revival come to this land. Maybe we could see the nation changed. Maybe we could see 
our workplace has changed. Maybe we could see our, our sporting environment changed, our, 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 our community changed. See, I believe this. We need to live with a reverential fear of God, not the fear of man. The fear of man is motivated by intimidation. The fear of God is motivated by reverential love. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to pray for each person that's watching uh, right now, God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that there are many, many times where we have not chased after the praise of you and we have settled for. And God, sometimes we've even chased after the praise of man at different times. And Father, I just pray for each of us, Lord, would you forgive us for those moments? And God, I pray from this moment on, would you help us to draw a line in the sand? That going forward from this point, Father, we would make the decision. We're no longer going to settle for the praise, the opinions and the judgments of man. We're no longer going to give that the primary place of satisfaction and influence in our life. But God, we want to give that to you. God, we want to get to the end of our days. And we want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you, Father. We thank you for the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.